book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Someone can turn on the lights in the back and if you will open up your Bibles there. Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you need a Bible, just quietly stick your hand up. We'll make sure someone gets one to you. Deuteronomy chapter 30. As we continue through this great sermon of Moses actually coming to the end of the sermon itself this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us, to get it for us, and make us hear it, that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us, and get it for us, and make us hear it, that we may observe it? But the word is very near you. In your mouth... And in your heart, that you may observe it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, by holding fast to Him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Powerful stuff. And with those words, Moses' sermon is completed. He's done. 30 chapters of preaching by Moses at the tail end of his life. He completes this part of the journey. And the way he completes it is fascinating to me. If you know anything about public speaking or if you listen to sermons over time, you may be aware that normally we, we, we start kind of broad and we end very narrow. We try to get to a point after the whole study to get down to, okay, so what's the main thing here? What's the driving thought? What's the concept? What is it that God really wants to send us home with? And Moses is no different. For all the preaching, going through all the laws and covering everything from the most obscure to the most obvious, Moses now comes down to the end of the sermon. And in these last few words, he brings it right down to a razor-sharp edge of clarity and understanding for us. And he nails it. He nails it. I was thinking about this as I, as I read through it. And I, I went back and did a little research because there's a certain phrase in our culture that we're all somewhat familiar with that came from the Apollo space program, it's thought, back in the early 60s. There's a phrase used by the engineers there, a concept developed that's still used today by software engineers and game makers and script writers and architects and business community. It's an acronym, and the acronym is KISS. You know what it stands for? Keep it simple. Very good. Can we say stupid at church? Keep it simple, stupid. That's the acronym. And it's been, you know, different ways of saying it. Keep it simple and straightforward. Keep it so whatever. I like keep it simple, stupid. It's just clear. And that's what I need to hear. Every now and then when I'm studying the Word, I need to hear God say, Hey, Rick, keep it simple, stupid. And I say, well, God wouldn't say that. Well, God knows me better than you do. Keep it simple, stupid. I love that phrase. And it's exactly where Moses lands at the end of his sermon. Keep it simple. Stupid. <laughs> it's as if he says, Hear, O Israel. Keep it simple, stupid. That's what he's talking about, bringing it down to a fine point. Further back in the 1960s, you go back to the 14th century, there was an English Franciscan friar, a man by the name of William of Ockham, 
who developed an approach to scientific study still used today, referred to as, some of you may know it, Occam's Razor. Now, I looked at this definition. I want to read this to you because it's somewhat ironic. Occam's razor states that the explanation of any phenomenon should make as few assumptions as possible, eliminating or shaving off those that make no difference in the observable predictions of the explanatory hypothesis or theory. In short, when given two equally valid explanations for a phenomenon, one should embrace a less complicated formulation. Keep it simple, stupid. Thank you. I read that about, wait a minute. Occam's razor is about finding the straightest point between two, two the line being the straightest you know, thing between two points, whatever that is. Keep it simple, stupid. Occam's razor is about finding the most simple explanation and the fact that the most simple explanation is most likely the right one. For example, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Simple. Keep it simple. In the beginning, there was a blob of goo that bumped into another blob of goo. And the blob of goo became a zoo, and the zoo became you. And you know, it just it gets so complicated. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Occam's razor. But the concept, gang, has much greater historical significance for from the very beginning, the Lord has sought to show man the most simple, straightforward pathway to home. That's what he's been about from the beginning. How can I recapture the hearts and minds that Frank talked about, Adam and Eve in the garden, and they blew it. How can I now capture their hearts and minds to get them home? Now I asked the question, God wasn't asking the question because before he created, he knew what the answer was. Keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. Make it plain. We stupidly complicate things. God always keeps it simple. Daniel chapter 2 verse 22, Daniel said, It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. God is a revealer. He is not secretive. He wants you to know. He wants you to understand. He wants it to be clear. He's not playing games with us. I hear it far too often in religion. We've got to enter into the mysteries, the esoteric essence of the great force. What? (laughs) That is not God. It has never been God. And even in Christianity, people tend to complicate. Well, this is the way we need to approach the Father. It's it's very simple. Keep it simple. Deuteronomy 29.29. Moses said, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God is a revealer. He's not secretive, as some would believe. He reveals with great specificity exactly what he did, what he's doing, and what he is about to do. As I've already said, Genesis starts off the book with, In the beginning, God. There's where it started. That's what he did. In the beginning, God created. And then God tells us what he's doing specifically in us to bring us close to him. And then the book ends, by the way, with the revelation of Jesus Christ. This particular book here. Ends with the revelation which by name means the unveiling or the revealing. And those of you who went through the Revelation study we did recently, you see that. It was not given to us to confuse or to complicate. And I've heard pastors not even go near, say they won't touch the book of Revelation. It's too hard to understand. No, it's not. It's the revealing. It's the unveiling. Because God is not secretive. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. Now in the book before us, Deuteronomy, we've been listening to Moses preach on and on and on for the past few months. Now for Israel it was probably a matter of a day, but it was a long day of a long 30 chapter sermon. But now Moses comes down and says, look, here's the deal. Here's the point. Hear, O Israel. Keep it simple, stupid. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. You don't have to be smart. It's not out of reach. Moses is talking to the entire gathered company of Israel. All of the families, all of the tribes, from the children to the oldest among them, Moses is saying, it's not out of reach. You don't have to be a brainiac. You don't have to be smart. It's not abstract or esoteric or hidden. It's not brain surgery. It's not rocket science. It is not out of reach. Every one of us can hear it. First time I realized that as a kid, I was so thankful 
Because I was one who would sit in church and listen to pastors teach and go, I could never, I could never grasp the Bible like this guy. I could never understand it like that. Until one pastor very wisely said, it's not out of reach, it's actually pretty easy to understand if you just read it. And I thank God for that man saying, there, just read it. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. You don't have to be smart. Verse 12, he says, It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven and get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? So you don't have to be smart. You also don't have to be spiritual. Who will go up to heaven? Who will rise up? Who will get in the lotus position and say, Oh, that we might hear the word. You don't have to be spiritual. You don't need a mystic or a priest or a channel or a palm reader to have the secret mysteries revealed. And by the way, that kind of false spirituality tracks all the way to the very first pagan religion in all of history, the Babylonian pagan religion, or what Revelation calls Mystery Babylon. A religion that was secretive. A religion where there was a high priest who had the key to all things. By the way, the high priest's name, if you don't know, historically he was called Pontifex Maximus in Babylonian paganism. If you've heard that name applied to Catholicism, it's, it's an interesting connection. And we'll go there this morning. But Jesus warns in Revelation 2.24 against the deep things of Satan. That phrase in the Greek, deep things, it's bathos. The secret secret mysteries. The unknown, the mystical things. And Jesus says, man, you beware of that. Someone stands up in front of you and starts to to, uh, explain to you or express that there are just things you can't know. I know. And I'll try to give you what you need to know. But you can't know all the things that I know as the leader of this church, as the pastor. I have a special connection with the Lord. (laughs) I know, we already said keep it simple. Stupid. But you know what I'm saying? There are belief systems, there are entire religions based around one person being at the top saying, I have the keys to the mysteries and I can't tell you because you can't handle it. And God would say, that's not true. There's one mediator, mediator between man and God. One, the man Jesus Christ, who is God. So it's simple. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be spiritual. Gang, Moses makes it clear. The word is not out of reach. You don't have to light candles to get it. Or burn incense. Furthermore, it doesn't come from a mystical land either. Look at verse 13. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. So you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be spiritual. And you don't have to search far and wide to understand what God would have you understand. You don't have to cross the distant sea. You don't have to go to Tibet, climb the Himalayas to try and be enlightened. It didn't work for the Beatles. It's not going to work for you. That's a little bit old school, but those of you who were around at that time, you know what they tried to do. Gang, the new spiritualism in our world, in our culture, and we have an increasingly spiritual culture. Did you know that? Now, we recognize as Christians that there are less and less people going to church, less and less people embracing Christianity and Christian lifestyle and Bible study and Bible reading. But we have an increasingly spiritual culture where people are embracing all kinds of things. This new spiritualism, or what in the 80s was hyped up as the New Age movement, and there are still massive New Age seminars everywhere. The New Age is simply an old lie. It's old eastern mysticism. Someone crossed the sea thinking they had to go across to the east to find these these new ideas, these concepts that could be applied over here in the west. And the reality is, Moses says, you don't have to cross the sea to get it. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be spiritual. You don't have to be on the search. God's word speaks to the human heart. And his word comes straight and simple. I was so impressed by this. I went back to the back right before we started and had a little stomachache this morning because I ate breakfast too fast and rushed down here and forgot something I had to rush home. So I'm running back and forth through cow pastures trying to avoid things. And, and I got home and came back here and my stomach was going, whoa, too much happened all at once. And so I'm in the back and, and Les asked me how I was doing. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. I have a little stomachache. And he said, well, let me pray for you because that's what Les does. And I'm glad. And he put his hand on me and the first words out of his mouth confirmed what we needed to hear this morning. He said, Lord, and he didn't know what we were going to talk about. Lord, the word is so simple. I don't know what else you prayed, Les, but I just said, Amen. I was locked in, good to go at that moment. (laughs) The word is so simple. It's so straightforward. 
Verse 14 says the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart that you may observe it. How near is very near? It doesn't get any closer than this. Moses, after preaching all of this, says, Oh, and by the way, I'm up here preaching, but the word is already in your mouth. It's on the tip of your tongue. It's right there. The word is already in your heart. You know the truth. Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. The truth is, you know the truth. You already know it. It is already in there. And process this with me for a moment this morning. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this statement. It's one of my favorite quotes of his. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But where did this idea of just and unjust come from? And he says, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. That is a profound thought. And Moses already expressed it thousands of years before C.S. Lewis came along. The word is already there. It is already in your heart and in your mouth. It is right there. Where does my sense of right and wrong come from? Where does this idea, why does anybody ever cry out the word unfair or unjust? Moses would say, and listen to this, you are hardwired with the truth. You and every human being that walks on the face of the planet, Christian or not, have already been hardwired with the truth. Hi, Peter. Hi, Jen. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm sorry, I, just, I haven't seen them in a little while. It's good to see you guys. <laughs> Back to it. You've been hardwired with the truth. It's already there. It's not something you have to go looking for. It's not something across the sea or up in the heavens. It is already there. But back in the beginning, ever since day one, our hardwiring got messed up. And so we blue screen all the time. I've got a computer at home, <laughs> the kids' homework computer, that has been blue screening for about two years now. I don't know how they even get their homework done. They'll be in the middle of the paper and all of a sudden, whoop, critical error, mass error. You know, I used to, when I first had a computer and those things would come up, you know, certain depth. Ah, you know, I'd look around. Major violation. I think the police are going to come busting into my house. But we function like that. We've been hardwired with the truth that something gets gummed up. And it's called the sin nature. And sin, gang, is simply a refusal to run according to program. We have been hardwired with the truth. I just had to send back my computer, by the way, my, my new laptop. That I was so excited about. I had it about a month. And I had to send it back to Dell. And, you know... Okay, here's my beef with computers. Because we've all got them, or most of us have them in our homes now. And a lot of us are to the point, kind of like TVs back in the 60s. Now we've got two or three computers sitting around our houses. And usually out of two or three computers sitting in a home, one works okay. And the other ones we're trying to get fixed or work on or figure out. We're like people trying to fly 747s. And we have no idea what the buttons are for. That's me with a computer. I can hardly turn the thing on. My, my Dell, I pressed the on button and it went... And turned off. I didn't even get the blue screen. You know? At least that tells me stuff I don't understand. I didn't get anything. So I called Dell. I'm on the phone for 45 minutes with him. And they finally say, yeah, we're going to have to send somebody out to pick it up and take it in. I'm going, oh, no. How do I survive? The hardwiring, gang, the hardwiring gets messed up. But here's what I want you to understand about the simplicity of all this this morning and what I believe Moses is saying to us. The truth is in you. It's already there. It's in the human heart. We were created innately to know the truth. And it will do one of two things in your life. It will either resonate with you or it will convict you. You're either going to go, yeah, that sounds right on. And you may be one who wasn't even raised going to church, but you walk into the bar and you sit down and you start to hear the word and you just go, Yes, Lord! That's what I want. That's what I've been looking for. Or you may be one who sits there and you start to hear the word of God and you go, I don't want to be near that. Too much life change. I'm not ready for that. But I absolutely believe that we innately know the best way to live is to love God and keep His commands. I think everybody knows it. Whether you're a believer or not, you know it. You know it. 
Moses says it's on the tip of the tongue. It's there in the heart. The word is that near. The question is not whether or not we understand the word, whether or not we will believe it. The question is, will we choose to receive it? Will we open ourselves up to it? Look at verse 15. He said, See, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity, and in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. Skip down to verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Choose life. Allow the hard wiring to function correctly in your life so that you will live and prosper and be happy and joyful. Choose life. The Jews would say, L'chaim. Have you seen uh, those around the roof? L'chaim. L'chaim. For life. You know, the song. Choose life. And I say, okay, how do I do that? How do I, how do I get down to that place where I'm really choosing life? Keep it simple, saints. Keep it simple, saints. I'm not going to call you guys stupid this morning. Verse 20. Keep it simple by loving the Lord your God. By obeying His voice. By holding fast to Him. For this is your life. I like that. This is your life. It's so simple. And Jesus draws off of the Hebrew Shema. That word that just means here, Deuteronomy 6.4, and he quotes it in Matthew 27.37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. That's it. Simple. Straightforward. Love God. Love people. And in so doing, you're going to keep the commandments. You're going to keep the law. It is that simple. Do you want to choose life? Are you in a place in your own life where you're thinking, man, I would love to have the good life. I would like for life to go reasonably well. I would like to be a happy person. I want to choose that. Then my suggestion to you is to love God and love people. It's that simple. It's profound. It's perfect. It's plain. It's practical. Now, if truth is already hardwired into the human heart, it raises a question for us in the world in which we live, why don't we just do it? If we already know it, if all people, all humanity already has this hardwiring truth, why is it that Iran is so threatening? Why is it that North Korea keeps testing nukes? And why do the Democrats and the Republicans go nuclear every election cycle? You watch the ads, don't you? I don't care where you stand, conservative or liberal, that's your issue. And if we want to talk politics, we'll do it after church. Because I have some very strong and firm views about it. But I'll tell you what, I watch both sides arguing, and I go, they're both ramrodding each other. They're both nuking each other. But before I get too high on my horse, I realize that I do the same thing. In fact, why do even Christians have trouble with the truth if we're hardwired with it? If the word is so simple, why can't we just keep it? Well, we can, and there's a way, and Paul's going to show it to us. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, where we discover the thing that was missing. Moses says, the word is so near, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart, it's right there. It's simple, it's hardwired, it's inside you, you have it. And we say, well, why don't we keep it? And Paul comes right around and helps us to understand. Beginning in verse 4 of Romans chapter 10. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. This is great. Paul jumps on the end of the law. As I said as we began, Moses is at the end of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 30 is the end of the sermon. He finishes up the sermon right there. In chapter 31, he's going to sing a song, which we're going to look at in in coming Sundays here. Chapter 32, he blesses all the people. Actually, chapter 31, no, he commissions Joshua. Chapter 32, he sings a song. Chapter 33, he blesses the people. Chapter 34, he dies. So chapter 31 is the end of the sermon. And Paul says, hey, just as Moses finished the end of the sermon, at the end of the law, so now Christ is the end of the law. There's a connection there. 
There's a tie between the two. Christ is the end of the law. He is the way to get this word that is hardwired into our souls to come alive in our spirits. He is the way, and listen to me, He is the way to move the soul in us to move us out of that place of living in the soul and living in the spirit. Living in the soul and the spirit, what's the difference? There is a difference. Because biblically, gained, the soul is the intellect. It's the thoughts of man. The spirit is the essence of man. It's who we are. And Paul says Jesus is the way to move from soul to spirit. To get from the hardwiring into the eternity of who you are. Paul jumps on the end of the law. Now follow this through. Verse 5, he says, For Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on law, shall live by that righteousness. In other words, to be righteous, and this is a big word, righteous, it simply means to be right on with God. It's that easy, okay? Simple. Again, be right on with God. What Christians should be saying is not, I want to be a righteous person, but I want to be right on. Right on, dude. I want to be right on with the Father. That's all it is. And Moses, Paul says, tells us that the way to be right on with God is keep the commandments. Be right on with God. Be righteous. It's easy. There's a law, but I've got a flaw. I can't keep that law. I, I can't do it. I can't be. I want to be right on with God. The hardwiring tells me to be right on with God, but my behavior doesn't seem to allow for it. And so Paul goes on in verse 6, he says, But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Watch the quote. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Oh wait, Moses just said that in Deuteronomy 30, right? Exactly. Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. And then Paul explains that is to try and bring Christ down. Or don't say in your heart who will descend into the abyss. That is to try and raise Christ up from the dead. I love how Paul does it. Romans 10 is the commentary, is the New Testament commentary on Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's Paul opening up Deuteronomy 30 to explain to us what it really means. He connects all these words to Christ and he says, Right onness with God is not about your efforts to bring Christ down from the heavens or up from the depths. And that, my friends, is religion. Religion attempts to bring Christ down or to raise Christ up. Religion... Means I want to bring Christ out of the heavens into my life through human effort. By climbing cathedral steps on my knees every Easter in order to prove my worthiness to bring Christ down. Or showing up and, and living out. It's like going to uh, Tolis St. Peter. You heard about this at St. Peter's Basilica? There's a statue of St. Peter there that has no toes. Why does it have no toes? Because over the years of people visiting the basilica and visiting that statue, that stone statue of Peter, so many people have kissed the feet of the statue, it has no toes anymore. It is absolutely gross. (laughs) Bringing Christ down. If I live in such a way that I get it all, I, I I show my worthiness for the Lord. He's going to come down. It's religion. And religion also gained, listen, it is not about going into the deep mystical places to gain access to greater spirituality. It's not about going down into the abyss because the word is near. See, that's what psychology does. And I know this because that's what I study. That's my graduate work was in. Don't get afraid. I don't know what you're thinking right now. (laughs) But I'll tell you what I learned about psychology in two years of of a graduate program. I learned this simple truth. It can't save you. In fact, it's a religion unto itself. It's a religion minus Jesus. Psychology says you need to go back and you need to go down and you need to delve into the depths of your history, of your past, of all that's gone on and you need to bring it up. And then you need to sort through it. And in my internships, I did that. I sorted through some just messy stuff. And then there was nowhere to take them. I mean, you could bring the stuff up, the stuff comes out, but no healing goes in where there's no Jesus. Without the Lord, it's an absolute waste of time trying to go down to the depths. The Word is so near. And again, it's not how smart I am, it's not how spiritual I am, or even how hard I go searching for explanation and understanding. The Word is so near. What Word? Verse 8. What does it say? Paul, again quoting, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith 
which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And there is incredible simplicity in this. You don't have to get spiritually high or personally down and depressed. Right here, right now, where you sit, in this moment, eternal salvation is on the tip of your tongue. That's so cool. Do you realize how much pressure that takes off of the Christian for evangelism? I mean, I don't have to learn the right program. I don't have to have the exact perfect words to say. Yeah, because the word is already in the person you're trying to evangelize. It's already on their tongue. It's already in their heart. They just got to be made aware of it. It's right there. Confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord. Believe with your heart. Believe what? Look at what Paul says. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. It is the hinge point of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, close the book, go home, there's nothing left. The resurrection is the focus. And Jesus said, when the Jews said to Him, they said, what sign do you show us for your authority for doing these things? Why should we follow you? Why should we believe in you? Why should we trust you at all? And Jesus, Jesus responded, John 2.19, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. In another place, he said, I'm going to give you one sign, and one sign alone, the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days before he came back. That's it. I'm giving you one sign. It's the resurrection. The resurrection is my proof. It is my authority. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says, that's it. That's the key. First importance. Remember that. And the rest will take care of itself. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the hinge. And Jesus later would say in Revelation 1.17, I am the first and the last. I'm the living one and I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I've said this before. Muhammad didn't rise. Buddha never rolled out of the grave. There was one too many Buddha burgers. <laughs> Joseph Smith is dead even today. Bhagwan is rotting in the grave. King David never came back to life. King David, why do you throw him in the list? Well, Peter said in Acts 2.29, he said, I may confidently say to you, regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. And, he's in his, and his tomb is with us to this day. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem, you can see what they think is the tomb of David. I'm not so sure it is, but you can see it and, and go, wow, tomb of David. Because, Peter goes on, David was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Well, how do you know that, Peter? Because David looked ahead, Peter says, and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. And then he quotes a psalm of David. He says, David wrote that you will not abandon me to Hades or let my flesh suffer decay. David wrote that. problem is, David's flesh suffered decay. David's still dead to this day, Peter's saying. However, however, this Jesus... God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. And so Jesus himself said the plain validation of his authority is his resurrection. And listen to me on this. It's important. Even the resurrection of Jesus Christ resonates in the human heart. When I was younger, I used to think it the most difficult thing to help people believe. I used to think when it came to evangelism and sharing Jesus, I'd save the resurrection until they got to the point where they were ready for something a little deeper. Jesus went right to the resurrection saying, this is the proof. I've come to understand that one of the first things out of my mouth when I'm talking to someone about Jesus needs to be the resurrection. Why? Because it's already in here. It's already hardwired. People already know. People already... Do you really think that? Yes, I do. We know that we know. Every human being knows deep in our hearts that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, some may, may want to deny it. They might try to disprove it. They might even try to counterfeit it, as has happened throughout history. But nobody can ignore it. We continue to keep coming back to the resurrection of this man, Jesus Christ. Why? Because people know that they know in their hearts that the word is that near. Jesus' resurrection did happen. It is true. Truth resonates. So don't be afraid of sharing the resurrection with people. Jesus, I believe in him because he died and he rose three days later. Really? Well, what does that mean in your life? I mean, it's amazing how quickly people move right on and just accept that as true. Because it is true. And it resonates with this.
Or as I said before, it may convict a bit. Now you might say, okay, great, Rick. Even if you're right, even if you're right, and I'm speaking to those of you who either have never given your life to Jesus or you did a long time ago, but you have wandered from that. You might say, even if you're right, I've wandered so far from God, I can believe, but I can't receive. I've gone too far away. I'm too ashamed of myself. God wouldn't want me. You have no idea what I've done with my life, Rick. And you're right, you don't. I don't. But you don't have any idea what I've done with mine either. You have no idea what my past is, what my sins are. You have no idea of the bitterness people will say that I've carried for years. I I just talked with a, a lovely woman a few weeks back who was just saying, I've been so far from God, I just don't know that I can make it back. Verse 10. Paul says, With the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, watch this, the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That word disappointed is kataishuno in the Greek, and the word is not disappointed, gang, it's ashamed. Let me read it that way. Whoever believes in him will not be ashamed. I'm so ashamed of myself. Yeah, but you know what? God is not ashamed of you. He just wants you back. If you believe in Him, you will not be ashamed. It is not God's purpose to make you guilt-ridden. I just ran into another person yesterday at Starbucks and was talking to her and she's been coming to the bridge. I don't think she's here this morning yet. Okay. Uh, So it's okay. We'll talk about it. And we're talking, and, and it's so funny to me, because being a pastor, you get this kind of thing. I walk in, and she says, oh, hi, Pastor Rick. I says, hey, so-and-so. And, and, and she said, um, hey, you know what? I, I'm really, I, I'm excited about the bridge, and, and I, I know I haven't been there in two weeks. I'm like, yeah, I know. I noticed that on the roll. <laughs> you haven't gotten a call yet? The team hasn't been sent out to your house to say, hey, what's going on? We must have missed you or something. I'll make sure someone gets it. It's so funny to me, because I don't even think about it. And it's not that I don't care who's here. I do. But this is not about guilt and shame. It's not about, oh, you missed a Sunday. (laughs) I'll talk to you after you've been in church for a month. (laughs) Then come back. Then talk to me. God says, no, if you believe in me, you will not be ashamed. It's not about guilt and and a father who's disappointed in the kids. It's about a father who says, the word is on your tongue and it's in your heart. Believe in me, receive me, and instantaneously we're back. The word is so near. It's shockingly and scandalously simple. By the way, coming to early service will not save you. Didn't know if you knew that. (laughs) That may thin the ranks a little bit next week. Getting your house in order. Getting your house in order cannot save you. Because there are people who say, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be guilt-ridden. So I'm going to clean up my life first. Then I'm going to go to church. No. That's not how it works. Cheryl understands you can't get your house in order. (laughs) I mean, the laundry just never stops. It never stops. And I can't tell you how many times Cheryl just, she's, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night and we're watching a show or something and she goes in and pulls out and pours it out on the floor and starts folding and, you know, I'm lying on the couch going, I'd, I'd help you, but, you know, with the back and everything. <laughs> and she's working on the, folding the clothes and she'll say it again and again. I don't know, just never stop. Every time I turn around, I'm folding clothes, folding it. You can't get your house in order. That's a perfect picture of sin in our lives. You cannot get it together. So stop trying to get that together and start calling out on the name of the Lord Jesus. The distance between you and Jesus is alive. The word is near. It's near. So apply this. Two things you can do. Number one, call on the simple word. Call on the simple word. Look at verse 12. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. This is a radical statement when Paul wrote this. The church is just starting to accept that maybe non-Jewish people can be saved. They're just starting to get that. And Paul says, let me make it clear, there's no difference between Jew and Greek, the spiritual people of God and the unspiritual heathen. No difference. The Lord is the Lord of all and all people can be saved. Period. All who call on Him. Verse 13, he says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Space is not limited, so sign up now. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. But I've, I've been away from church for 40 years. Call on the name. Yeah, but, but I've never really known Jesus before. Call on the name. But my life has been one big rebellious act. 
Call on the name. Call on the name of Jesus. Call on the simple word, the word that saves here and now. But wait, there's more. If you've already called on the name, you're saying, great, that's that's an evangelistic sermon, and boy, I hope someone else is hearing it. What does that mean for me? If you're already in that place, you've called out to Jesus, and you're living with Him and walking with Him, then my encouragement to you is to call out the simple word. Call out the name. Speak the name. Verse 14, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And by the way, preacher is a bad translation. It's just a proclaimer. It's just someone who's willing to open up their mouth and what's on the tip of the tongue, the name Jesus, would just be spoken. You don't have to have a seminary degree, or as I like to call it, a cemetery degree. You don't have to have training or schooling. All you need is the word in your mouth that is already in your mouth. And Paul says, how will they hear without a proclaimer? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Guess what? You just got your sending orders. You've just been sent. Go and speak the name. Go and tell people about Jesus. Just as it is written, and if you have ugly feet, this is a good verse for you. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So you can preach Jesus and have nice looking feet at the same time. Which is great. Paul says, if you've named Jesus as Lord, proclaim Jesus as Lord. If you know Him as your Savior, then show Him as your Savior. I'm no preacher. I'm no evangelist. I don't know what to tell people. Hey, if you want others to call on the simple word, call out the simple word. And it is that simple. And I'll tell you why. It's what we've been talking about. Because the word of truth is already embedded in the human heart. All you have to do is call it out. That's what we're called to do. To say, hey, truth that's in there, come on out. And the way it gets unlocked is by preaching, by teaching the name, the name of Jesus. Call on or call out the word. Moses said the word is so near. Paul quoted him, the word is so near. What word? Listen to this. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And in verse 14, a familiar verse to you, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth and Moses said it and Paul said it the word is near the word is near we've taken Paul's words here and unfortunately in verse 17 we have complicated them in a way that's greatly misunderstood look at verse 17 so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ and there are a couple of camps on this that misunderstand this verse camp number one is those who say the word of Christ is the Bible it's not Because the word word there is the Greek word rima, which means the spoken word. Oh, really? I thought we were supposed to depend on the written word. Well, the phrase is the spoken word. Hmm. So what do we do with that? Well, then you jump into the other camp who says, all we have to do is just hear from the Lord. And we can cast out this book because we just need to hear the rima. And that also is a misunderstanding of the word of Christ. The word of Christ The Word of Christ. We have a tendency, especially with the New New Testament, to make a real greasy mess. And what I mean by that is that we take Greek words and we mess them up. This one is an example of that. (laughs) Some of you are just catching that right now. Yeah, greasy, greasy. Okay, it's good. Yeah, Or you might say, keep it simple, stupid. The Greek phrase. Now listen to me on this, and don't don't shut down now. In fact, if you shut down, come back, because this is important. The Greek phrase translated the word of, you're going to love this, is written in the objective genitive form. So when you're out evangelizing, telling people about Jesus, make sure they understand that it's written in the objective genitive form. You want to complicate it. The objective genitive form is very simply this thing. What Paul is saying when he writes this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The word of Christ, that phrase, is literally, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word about Christ. The spoken word about Christ. Faith comes from the spoken word about Christ. What did Paul just say in the verse before that? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who will speak the word about Christ. That's where faith comes from. 
It comes from people like you and I wandering into our businesses, wandering into our schools, wandering into everyday life and speaking the word about Christ. And it resonates with the truth that's already there and faith develops. And faith bursts up. And faith comes up out of the ground. The word is so near. And you might say, well, I could have told you that without all that fancy schmancy Greek lingo. Exactly. It's simple. The word is so near. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word about Christ. What is the word about Christ? It's the gospel. We've already covered it this morning. Jesus died for our sins and he resurrected on the third day. That's it. The word about Christ. It's that simple. And by the way, that faith in hearing about Jesus is not just a new faith, it's also for a growing faith. I love this song. I, I looked up these words, and I don't know if you've seen this online. It's called Cyber Hymnal. And you can go to cyberhymnal.com, and you can get old hymn words. And a lot of times I'll do that, because I'll think of an old hymn. I was raised singing hymns. And I'll think of one. So go to Cyber Hymnal, and it's, it's a terrible sound. You know, it's always... Ding, 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 and it's real kind of electronic sounding. I'm like, that wouldn't fly in any church back, you know, 40 years ago. But they always have the words there. And I looked up, and I choked up on these words. <laughs> Tell me the story of Jesus. Right on my heart, every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. And I don't care if you're hearing about Jesus this morning for the first time or you've heard the story of Christ 400 times over the last five weeks. It is still the most precious story ever heard. It still grows your faith. We return to, purposefully, we return to Jesus over and over and over and over at the bridge because Jesus is the point. The word about Christ is not only the word that saves, it's the word that grows faith. Paul understood that. First, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He got it. He understood it. The word is near. The word about Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And faith grows by hearing the word of Christ. Jesus, 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 over and over. Tell me that story. I want to hear it. Now the last thing I want to show you is Acts chapter 4. You can turn there or you can just listen. But Peter and John, they got it too. They understood. It finally clicked in after the resurrection, by the way. Once they understood the resurrection, and that was made clear, they got it. Acts chapter 4 verse 1 says, As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to me, came up to them. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, which is why they were Sadducee. I didn't make it up. It's been around a long time. But they were greatly disturbed, verse 2, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. What were they doing? Proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. Wait a minute. But these Jewish people, they didn't know anything about the resurrection. And that's what Peter and John, at the very beginning of the church, before they explained anything else, that's what they were preaching? Exactly. That's the point. Tell them about the resurrection. It will resonate. It will convict. The resurrection. And it says in verse 3, they laid hands on them, not to pray for them, they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. What message? The gospel, the resurrection. They heard it. They believed, because the word is so near. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas... And I'd love to pronounce it another way, but I won't. The high priest was there. <laughs> and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. By the way, these were all the guys who saw Jesus crucified, who signed off on the act. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power and what name have you done this? Because Peter and John had just healed a guy. And Peter... Filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, said to them, Rulers, elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, God and God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. Wow. I mean, a shockwave must have run through the Jewish leaders at that moment. They weren't seeing that. They didn't expect that to come. Boom, it's Jesus who you crucified and who raised. He's the one who healed this man. Wow. And then he says this. 
Verse 11, He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And by the way, this is the same Peter who was cowering the weekend of the crucifixion, who was hiding out, scared to death. What an incredible difference. What's the difference? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows what he has seen. He has now walked with Jesus. He watched Jesus ascend into heavens, stood there open mouth for a while, which is never a good idea when you're looking up, especially in this barn. Verse 12, this same Peter says, and I love this verse, this, by the way, should be in your memory bank. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus, the word of Christ, that is it. Jesus is the word that is so near. The word that's so near that Moses talked about. You don't have to cross the sea to get. You don't have to go up to the heavens to get. The word is near because the heavens came down to us. The word is so near, Christ Jesus. And if you don't know him, call out the name. It's that simple. Believe on Him and receive the fact that He was resurrected and you will be saved. And if you do know Him, then you be out there calling out the Word, the Word of Christ, the simple truth that resonates in the human heart. For my friends, the Word of Christ will be spoken at a time not long from now and its resonance is going to jar and shake all humanity to their knees. Philippians 2.10 At the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father how many tongues are going to confess that? every tongue because the word is already here all we need to do is speak it and Moses very simply ended his sermon this way Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 he said so choose life in order that you may live you and your descendants forever Father we thank you for the power of your word for the gospel about Jesus the word about Jesus the word that is so clear and so simple and so pure and so true we thank you that no matter how far we wander off no matter how distant we may feel like we've become that your word is so near Lord, I want to pray for those, and, and this may be you this morning as we pray, who have drifted away from Jesus. Who feel like they've fallen back, and, and you may feel your life just isn't what you'd hoped it would be for the Lord. And you wonder what God is thinking, and you're not even sure, you weren't even sure if you could get up and make it here this morning. Would you hear this promise that whoever believes in Jesus will not be ashamed? That you speak the name and there is no shame and in fact if you're that person I pray I ask you I invite you right now as we pray call on the name of Jesus in your heart pray with me just say Jesus I've missed you and Jesus I need you and Jesus I believe you and I want to be close to you again and if you've never believed in Jesus would you pray this? Give your life to Him. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. You know. You know the words that I've been speaking are true. Just pray, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need salvation and I confess my sins to You. And I believe that You are the Savior. That You did go to the cross for my sins and that You resurrected on the third day to break the stranglehold of death. Jesus, please be my Lord and be my Savior. And we pray this this morning together in Jesus' name. Amen.